Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches. Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views. That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. Today on the show, we've got Marley Lunt. I might be working with them for a few weeks or a couple of years, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just a consultant and they have to continue leading. And if I don't teach them to lead or, or help them fix some of their bad habits or put systems in place so that it will uh, continue to manage that way even after they leave, then, I, then I'm wasting my time. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Thanks for making time. Thank you. So tell us about your uh, your operational excellence coaching business and consulting. Yeah, so I, I just barely got into consulting after working in the industry for about seven, eight years. Um, I specialize in helping leaders understand how to lead in the business. And I also understand a lot of the uh, background and historical context of winning. So I can help people understand where things came from so that they can be a lot more effective. You know, what's the, what's the underlying intent of a lot of the tools and techniques. Yeah. And by helping them understand that, then they can go and use, be a lot more effective and sometimes create new methods of doing work, which is really fun to see. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, um, obviously at, at Mylan advisors, we're, we're big fans of everything coming out of Shingo um, and you actually got to go to learn that stuff straight from school, didn't you? Yeah, I, I actually, I got introduced to Lean through the Shingo Institute. I was there as a student in an entrepreneur club and they asked for some help to un, un, analyze the demand for Lean education online. So I did that for a little bit. Then I uh, was offered an internship with them and later uh, managed the publication award for the Shingo Institute. So I really got to rub shoulders or rub elbows, whatever the saying is, uh, with with a lot of the experts to understand what it is they do, where they learned from. Uh, yeah, 
and how it all works together. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and for everybody who doesn't know that, you know, the Shingo Prize is like the Nobel Prize of manufacturing is, you know, now in all these other industries. Can you give people just a, the slightest background on the name Shingo and, and why they've become such a leader? Yeah, so the Shingo Prize, the, the name came from um, Dr. Shingo, who was given an honorary doctorate degree back in the 80s by Utah State University. Uh, Dr. Shingo uh, had a lot of influence in Japan. Uh, he helped with the Toyota production system. He and Ono um, were friends to an extent. I mean, they, they challenged each other a lot, but a lot of the ideas that Shingo came up with uh, became part of the Toyota production system. Uh, he also helped a lot of other businesses as well, not just uh, the auto industry. He was also in the shipyards and uh, worked for, as a consultant himself for the Japan Manufacturing Association. I think that's what it's called. And so because of the impact that he had, uh, Norman Bodek, I would try to actually getting him a, a, a Nobel Prize, but for some reason couldn't get that to happen uh, so he partnered with the university to get an honorary doctorate degree and they set up an award program to help promote the practices uh, to help organizations achieve world-class uh, status yeah i mean now you know with raytheon and volvo and big you know state farm all these big giant companies around the world competing for that thing at 30 years of that have uh, it's really created a machine there hey yeah, it's really awesome. I mean, at first, the, the companies that were applying, they weren't quite there. So they treated it as a beauty contest at the beginning. But uh, now it's a very robust program, very hard. It's probably, in my opinion, the hardest award to get uh, in the world in business. Um, so, and I know there's certain things you can't talk about Boeing, but but uh, how did you end up at Boeing? Yeah, so after... After working with the Shingo Institute, I worked at Utah State University, uh, helping them manage and change um, change the way they operate, a lot of the housing and stuff. So I, I became quite effective in, in my approach. And Boeing actually approached me. Um, I was at a conference, and they were interested. They knew that I had the Shingo background. And so they asked me to, to work with them. And so I joined their operational excellence office. Yeah. Um... So um, thinking about things you can talk about, what, what was cool for you to be doing this type of work in an organization like that? At first, it's, it's really a bit scary. You know, Boeing is a huge, huge organization. I loved, I loved every minute of it. Um, the, I love the aviation, just walking into these huge factories, you know, the, the building in Everett's the biggest building by square footage, I think. Um, in the world and it's it's just amazing to see all these big airplanes lined up being produced uh, that was you know very awe-inspiring and at first you feel a bit scared and like okay what can i do i don't want to mess this up but um after a little while they actually asked me to help them turn around one of their e-organizations and services uh, it was known as gold care in the market i think they just changed their name but help them turn around now they're winning a lot of the biggest contracts in service of history. And so I think, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> Next sure. question. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think 
as, as we do these kind of shows, we, we definitely have a number of folks who have, they've been on a lean journey and they've had some things go well and, and some things not go well and they've kind of need to start over. They've had to get back into the tools again or get new tools. Um, in your mind, for folks who, you know, they see the magic of what's possible when these systems are run well, um, and they want that, but maybe they haven't been able to reach it yet. What are some of the first things that you're you're talking to an organization about, or the first questions you would have for somebody who's been on the lean journey but hasn't seen the results they'd like to see? Well, first, I, you know, I take an internal inventory of what they actually were doing and how they're approaching it. Um, I was terrible at first when I was doing lean. You know, for the first three six months. I was not very effective uh, at Utah State University. This is before going to Boeing. And it was the way that I approached it. You know, I said, oh, here's all these tools you need to do. You know, go do 5S, start using A3s, value stream at this, value stream at that. But I couldn't get the people involved. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't that interested. And it was because I wasn't bringing them individually into, into what we were creating. I wasn't solving their problems, even though they may seem small to me, they were their problems. And, and I had, and so when I, when I look at an organization, I see that they're not getting the results. That's one of the first things I look is at it. Are they really engaging their people? Are they solving the people's problem? Or are they just trying to, trying to get some great business results, turn around a company quickly, sell it, make a lot of money, you know, so the, they have to have the right purpose as to why they're doing it. Otherwise, you know, it, it, it's, it's a short-term project that will fail when the next leader comes in. Yeah, you know, I'm interested in this. Um, we're both relatively young guys compared to the, the world of business. Um, when, you, when you do have to talk to senior leaders, especially folks that are older than yourself, and, and help them come to the conclusion that maybe they can up their game in, in the leadership realm, what are what's your approach, or what what have you found effective? Um, you know, when you're talking to someone who may have significantly more business experience, but but you know there is an opportunity for for uh, for growth. Yeah, that happens quite a bit. I, I actually coached a few VPs at at Boeing and and other leaders. I think the one thing you have to do, I mean, you can meet with them and and build up the rapport. You got to prove that you you're capable, but going out and observing what's really going on in the workforce, diving deep, you know, a few, few layers deep to understand how certain things are being perceived, what problems people are having, but they may not be able to communicate those up to leadership, you know, because there's kind of a different language that's talked uh, at the leadership level versus on the shop floor. And if there's no way to bridge that gap, you know, either through visual workplace or, um, or other methods, then there's a bit of disconnect. So I, I try to understand the problems from both perspectives, uh, the leaders, what, what they're struggling with, uh, and then also what the team members are struggling with. And then I come up with a solution that, that helps both. Um, I, don't, I don't try to say that I know everything. You know, that's one thing that leaders really don't like, you know, because they know, they know that they don't know everything and to have some young guy come in that, that, uh, has only been doing this for a few years versus their 30 year, uh, 
experience. You know, it's, it's yeah, off-putting. So, but I, I try to help understand what their vision is and help make that come true for them. And by doing that, then, then I become a lot more effective. Our sponsor for this episode of Innovation and Leadership is Skillshare. If you're not familiar with them, they're an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes on business and marketing and entrepreneurship and technology and, and lots of other classes too. Illustration, think other things I'm interested in. Um, they've given us a special offer where for listeners of our show, you can get two months for just 99 cents where you can see all these 18,000 classes, unlimited access. It's uh, Skillshare.com slash leader. And I think what I like about them most is their high quality classes that are from high credibility instructors, you know, content marketing right from Contently. Or the one I took was uh, last was email marketing right from MailChimp, where you know, these are folks who are obviously seeing millions of other people's email marketing campaigns go out. So they, they really are kind of a high credibility source of information. So again, it's Skillshare.com slash leader. 99 cents for com- complete access to all their courses for the next two months. Uh, one last time, skillshare.com slash L-E-A-D-E-R. Thanks. Well, it, it's fascinating how much each of us are more interested in our own plan for ourselves than anybody else's plan for us, huh? Mm-hmm. If you can help them define what they want for their plan um, and, and you know, the way you're maybe pointing things out or, or spotting opportunities is in service of the destination they've set for themselves rather than a destination one of us has set for them, huh? Yeah, so I, I really try to connect with their vision of what they want to accomplish and, and who they are. Uh, if, I, if, I try to, if I go against that too much, you really can't get a lot of traction. So I try to harmonize, create a bit of a mastermind of what's possible. Uh, to bring people along and they have to own it. You know, I'm in, I'm in there as a consultant. I might be working with them for a few weeks or a couple of years, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just a consultant and they have to continue leading. Yeah. And if I don't teach them to lead or, or help them fix some of their bad habits or put systems in place so that it will uh, continue to manage that way, even after they leave. Yeah. Then I then I'm wasting my time and I'm I'm wasting you know, maybe maybe it's good for the leader at the time you get promoted, but I'm doing a big disservice to the organization, you know, the team members on the floor. You know, when I go in there I see that there's a lot of hope on their face. Yeah. Uh, when I go in there, I see that usually they haven't been listened to. That there's pain. Everyone has pain. And when I when I can understand what that pain is I can help both sides, you know, and I, and sometimes I take it right on the, right on the nose, you know, I'll stand up for the, the people and sometimes I'll get knocked down by the CEO or a, a, a VP or some senior manager. And sometimes I'll stand up for a leader and I'll get, get knocked down by the, uh, by the team members. But I'm, I'm always trying to help both sides. And, uh, and sometimes it, there's some self-sacrifice to happen. Sure. You know, for for people who are interested in tangible results, you know, sometimes um, you get the the true believers in OPEX or, or continuous improvement, and then you get the other folks who 
um, have tossed it around like a buzzword. You know, I, I was recently with a CEO of a large healthcare organization who said, ah, I don't know about that stuff. It seems like that's what people claim they're doing when they're just going in and laying people off, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and in some way, you know, in certain, in certain companies, lean is a bad word, right? Because it sounds like we're, we're going lean on the number of staff around here and that it's a precursor for your friends are getting fired. Right. And, and yet, you know, when you see the organizations, the OC Tanners of the world or the, you know, Shingo, different Shingo prize winners, it's, it's basically the exact opposite. Um, I'm interested in talking about like actual results. I'm, uh, on your LinkedIn here, you've talked about a, a couple of projects like airplane part availability and reduced flow time. Uh, are those are those things you can tell us about how you guys got to that that kind of a result? Mm, that that's kind of harder to really talk about. I I mean, with the sure. gold care program, they're nearly out of business in 2014, and now they're winning the largest contracts in the services history, worth billions of dollars. And so um, that's tangible results. Now I can't go tell you everything that we did to make that happen. Sure, that was a two-year two-year journey. Um, but one, go ahead. No, no. Where were you going to go? Uh, one one thing that I could chat a little bit about was some of the work I did at Utah State. Um, it's a little less sensitive, but I remember working with with one gentleman, the planner. Uh, his name's Dan. And then I'm, lets me tell the story, but he, he, he got hired in and about a month later, everyone was kind of annoyed. Nothing was getting planned. It, um, and you know, talking with him, he was really getting frustrated, you know, and wasn't able to, to get much work done because of all the questions. And so because he was bombarded all the time with questions and unknown what was expected, there was no work that was coming out. And so I sat down with him, we mapped out his process, created a visual board so people can get all their answers from the board instead of talking to him directly or emails, you know, free up his time so he could actually plan. And it just created such a calm in his work that he was able to, to plan projects uh, quite quickly. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think we got the planning process down from months, you know, say, four to six months to do a remodel down to six weeks. Oh, that's uh, great. The housing, uh, housing there. Yeah. And so that's some results that, that we've gotten. And working with Andy, who runs the warehouse, fantastic guy. If you ever need someone that knows how to run a warehouse, well, it's a great one to talk to. But our inventory accuracy was probably around 60%. Doing a lot of this, uh, making it easier for people to find parts. We got our inventory accuracy up to ninety nine percent plus. You know, yeah. Um, what do you feel what, like? What do you feel uh, like made the difference there? What made the difference was a lot of listening. Um, what? Why? What was happening before? Why wasn't it? Why wasn't it getting there without the listening? Well, the 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 department at Utah State it was split. You know, we had the administrators in one building and the people actually doing the work uh, remodeling the buildings in another. And so we, we remodeled the warehouse to bring everyone into the same roof so they can understand what's happening. And then uh, some of the, some of the employees, you know, they would stash parts, you know, they've been working there for years and they knew they would need one, but uh, 
they have like secret closets and stuff they keep parts in. And they did that because they thought that their parts wouldn't be in the warehouse if they didn't do that, you know, because it's not a regular stocked item. And so I really had to listen to, you know, bringing people together so they can listen to each other more. That helped a lot. And listening individually to uh, the mechanics, uh, the paint crew, the warehouse, understand what the needs are. We, we made sure that uh, it was stocked with the right things. And if they didn't have a stock, found a way for them to get it. So there was less hoarding, hoarding and less um, keeping things all over the place. And I think we, I found like 15 stashes on campus. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think it is that so many managers or leaders get tempted to not think about individual contributors in such a humanizing way? Like, why is it that this is a classic story that we see all over corporate America and frankly across the world of the frontline staff feeling like they need to sandbag against management? Like, um, what do you think it is about being in leadership that tempts us to not fully consider what it's like to be on the front line? I think part of it is our own past experiences. We, we believe that we're experts, right? And, and we are. We've, we've done a lot of great things our, in our lives, but the skill of leadership is different than just the skill of, of performing a task. And this is actually something that was recognized um, during World War II. So if, if you don't mind me going back in the sure. history. So during the war, uh, we have to ramp up production substantially, right? And we have a lot of non-traditional people working in the workforce, women, um, whole new, you know, new ethnic groups working in manufacturing, um, doctors, farmers, and everyone else went out to, to the war. And so we had to find ways to teach people quickly and effectively to have the skills to manage people. Because we, we, can't, we can't afford to just fire Johnny because he didn't show up to work one day. You know, we don't have people. We are very short people. We need to find a way to keep people working and to be respectful about it. And so, uh, I don't know which commission, I think the War Commission created this program called Training Within Industries. And it borrowed a lot of concepts from what's called scientific management. And I, you know, Lean is basically a, a branch of scientific management. I'm not sure why they had to create another term for it. But um, they created a, uh, a course called the job relations course and that's to teach the skill of leadership and so in, in the model they talk about the five needs an effective leader there's the need, there's um, on one side you have knowledge and the other side you have skill knowledge of your role and your responsibilities and then you have the skill to lead skill to instruct and skill to improve the skill to instruct that's where all the the uh, the standard work stuff came from, and uh, and the the job relations is the skill of leadership, and so all this material is now out in public domain, and people can look at it. But after the war was over, we actually took the program, the PWI program, over to Japan to help them rebuild their country, and that's how uh, Toyota got a hold of it. So uh, in the old Toyota manuals, they they still they called out the job instruction course and the job relations course. They teach those internal to Boeing, or not Boeing, uh, sorry, Toyota. And the uh, job instruction course is still taught today. It hasn't been changed from what I understand since 1955 or 56. 
And so the, the skill of leadership, you know, it's really a skill and it's not about this natural leader thing. I mean, some people might have a bit more of a natural tendency toward it, but it can be taught and the companies that really understand that well, they've adopted this course or other similar courses that teach that skill. I mean, I don't think, I think when we promote people, we promote them on the basis of the skill that they were performing a, a particular task lower in the company. And now they, they become leaders and we don't invest the time to really develop them as a leader or really even spell out what it means to be a leader in an organization. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Well, listen, I know um, we're here at kind of our end of our time for part one of the episode, but please tune into our next episode. We're going to ask Marley more about um, how he's seen these things in the workplace and, and advice he has for the rest of us. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard uh, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run and it just puts so much power in the hands of of marketers and ceos who want to try something and see if it works you can buy as many or as few as you want change it as many times as you want uh, i think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors we're pretty excited about it hope you check out blipbillboards.com thanks Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.